So when we arrived at the restaurant, I was so hungry. Uh, and so I ordered the only thing on the menu that I recognized, which was buff or, or beef. Uh, but, but when it arrived, it was completely uncooked, <laughs> like entirely raw. Uh, and and I, I all of a sudden wasn't hungry anymore. <laughs> so then the next time I ordered uh, Beef. Uh, I, I I ordered a hamburger, and when it came, it looked mostly. It looked like it was cooked. It looked like a normal hamburger. But when I took my first bite, I realized that it also was was mostly raw, mostly uncooked. So um, so I asked a French friend, "Well, how how can I get this this meat cooked all the way through?" And and the answer was "à point" or to the point, which I understood to mean that they would cook it like to the center of the meat or to the to the point of the meat. Okay, so the next time I ordered a hamburger, it was a point. Uh, unfortunately, nothing really changed. It was still almost entirely raw. Uh, so I, I had to ask around again and again, and, and this time I asked American friends, because I figured American friends who had lived in France long enough will have figured this out. And, and so they told me about bien cuit, which is like well done or, or, or well cooked. And so, so on my way to the cafe to meet some friends, I was practicing on the way there. Bien cuit, s'il vous plaît. Well done, please. Uh, so the server came around and I ordered steak and fries and, and then I proudly said, bien cuit, s'il vous plaît. And, and the server looked at me and said, no. <laughs> A point. And then she walked away. <laughs> And, and my friends laughed at me, they, they had lived in France for a long time, and they said, Tim, this isn't America. The customer isn't always right, especially when it comes to French cuisine. In fact, no self-respecting French chef would ever allow a piece of burned meat to be served from their kitchen, right? It, it actually makes sense. Uh, and and it's, it's at the table so often where we often learn about others and, and, and especially those who are, are different than us and, and in, in turn we also learn, learn more about, about ourselves. It's in the sharing of, a, of the meal where we learn about the values of, of different cultures and of, of people groups. Now, now initially, uh, these experiences obviously can be strange and somewhat disconcerting for, for, for foreigners and, and, and for outsiders. But, but being at the table is the beginning of, of learning. Being a part of the meal is the beginning of being welcomed in and, and the beginning of belonging. It's so often at the table that, that when we're invited in, we begin to feel like, oh, like I'm not... I'm not as much of an outsider as I was. So today we come to, to the communion table and, and at Christ's table, there is a seat for, for all of us, for, for everyone. But before we get there, we're on this journey through the wilderness in the book of Numbers, which brings us to another really important meal. So let's listen together as we read from, from Numbers chapter nine. We'll start with, with verse one and we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. So, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of Egypt, saying, so this is basically just a year, the beginning of the second year, let the Israelites keep the Passover 
at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its statutes and all its regulations, you shall keep it. So Moses told the Israelites that they should keep the Passover. They kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the Israelites did. And then jumping down to to verse 9, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the Israelites saying, any one of you or your descendants who is unclean through touching of a corpse or is away on a journey shall still keep the Passover to the Lord in the second month on the 14th day at twilight they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it, of the lamb, according to all the statutes for the Passover, they shall keep it. And then verse 14, any alien or or foreigner residing among you who wishes to keep the Passover to the Lord shall do so according to the statute of the Passover and according to its regulations. You shall have one statute for both the resident alien and the native. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so, so where have we been so far? Uh, the book of Numbers is called the, the book of Numbers, at least for us, uh, because it begins with a census, a counting of the people in the wilderness. So while the people begin counting themselves as a way of preparing for war, there is a sense that God is counting as a way of letting these wounded people know that they count, that they matter, that the census is literally a lifting up of each head, looking into the eyes of each person to let them know that they count. And then last week, we noticed a a math error or a math problem in chapter 3, which is a reminder that God doesn't need a perfect Bible or perfect things or perfect people to reveal her loving and caring presence to us. But after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the people don't know God all that well. God is like a stranger whom the people assume must be dangerous and must be be violent, just like Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. This is perhaps why we see God so often portrayed in the Bible as violent and unjust. But even as we tend to get God wrong, God is faithfully present, moving us forward away from hate and toward love. God is faithfully moving us away from prejudice toward inclusion. God is moving us away from violence toward compassion and a just peace. And so now today, this brings us to this celebration of of Passover, which is a reminder of the night uh, of the 10th plague in Egypt. If you remember that or if you remember the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or, or, uh, or the, the one by Pixar? What is that? Prince of Egypt. Um, where was I? The night of the Tenth Plague where all firstborn children would be killed, which is 
terrible, obviously, tragic. But on that night, God provides a substitute, if you will, in the form of a lamb, which the people will eat as their final meal as slaves in Egypt. And when they kill the lamb for the meal, the people are supposed to paint the door of their home with the blood of of that animal so that the innocent children, the innocent firstborn children in that home would be protected. Now, I know, I I know, it's strange, and and the story is, is all kinds of disturbing, but overall, when this meal is celebrated, it's intended to be a reminder of God's rescue, this reminder of God's true character as a liberator. God rescued us from slavery, past tense, which means that even now, God is at work setting us free present tense, which means that God will continue to be about the work of liberation, not just for us, but for all people, future tense. And in a way, this is how the Passover meal is set out for for us or for them to eat. The bitter herbs is a reminder of their bitter experience of oppression and slavery in Egypt, remembering their past pain is a a part of their and our our healing. Because the wounds that we ignore don't actually get better, they just become larger and bigger. The lamb, as we will see later, is a reminder of God's self-giving love. As God is attending to our most basic need for food in in the present moment, but also for, for protection. And then the unleavened bread is bread that is, is prepared with the future in mind. There's no time to wait for the bread to rise, to, 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 put, put, to put leaven uh, into the bread or yeast into the bread, because tomorrow the people are going to be swept up in God's liberating movement. So God was faithful, God is faithful, and God will be faithful. So when Jewish families gather each year for the Passover, they gather around a table, and, and if a child is there, the child will ask, Why is this night different than every other night? And then the story of God's liberation is told both in words and physically through the food that they're eating. And as they eat, this old, old story becomes their story. This old, old story becomes our story, which is why the child doesn't ask, why was that night so long ago so different? The child asks, why is this night different. So, it was on the night that Jesus was arrested, that Jesus and his followers gathered around the table to celebrate Passover. And after giving thanks to God, Jesus took the unleavened bread from the Passover meal, and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. And then after they had eaten, Jesus took the the wine from the Passover meal. He poured it into a cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. In this moment, Jesus sees himself as that liberating substitute, as the, the, the Lamb of God, if you will. He will place his life on the line for us, his body, his blood given for us 
to those who would demand a sacrifice. But who would demand such a sacrifice? Who would demand such a sacrifice? Well, in the church, it seems like the answer, the correct answer is always God, right? It's always God, which is why we sing songs that say things like, on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, as if God was the one who was demanding this blood, that God was the one who was demanding this sacrifice, that God was the one who was angry and violent. Of course, God, God demands sacrifice, just like the gods of Egypt. Really? God is dangerous and violent, just like Pharaoh. Really? Is, is this God's true character? Or is something else happening here? Is this a part of our, of our own pain and violence as human beings being projected onto God? And, and, and if this is, is so, if this is what is happening, is there anything in these stories that would allow us to read the Bible differently? To see this story from a, from a, a, a different perspective. Well, as a kid, I liked watching um, the Scooby-Doo cartoons. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember these, but the, the, they were always involved mysteries with, with ghosts and, and ghouls and, and monsters. But, but when they finally catch the ghost or the ghoul or the monster, for example, uh, we discover that it's not actually a ghost or a monster or, or whatever it was that they were chasing, but that it was Old Man Withers from the Haunted Amusement Park. And... And then after that, they, they, they recap, uh, sort of through a, a, a what is it, a, a Scooby-Doo flashback, they recap all the clues that, that we saw sort of throughout that, that point to, to the true culprit. Um, and, and we realize, oh yeah, we saw Old Man Withers in the haunted amusement park at the beginning. Go figure. Well, as we look at the Passover story, it, it appears that God is the monster just a, as, a, as a general read-through. And in the Gospels, if indeed God is the one who kills Jesus, then, well, once again, obviously, God is the monster. Or at least appears to be the monster from whom we need to be protected. But if we do a Scooby-Doo flashback, there's something at the beginning of each story that, that is at least worth considering. So Exodus chapter 1, we see, oh, a pharaoh who, who commands the killing of, of innocent children. And then at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, oh, oh, a king who commands the killing of, of innocent children. Now, if, if a crime is committed that fits the pattern of a previous crime, I'm pretty sure that Fred and Velma from Scooby-Doo would first want to talk to, to Pharaoh or to the king or to all the people and the nations who oppress other people for their own gain, who use violence and oppression to stay in power. They seem like the prime suspects in this story. These would be the prime suspects because once violence and death are unleashed, there's no controlling them or containing them. It's sort of like the rest of the story is not an unraveling of what was released at the very beginning. The oppression begins with the foreigner. It begins with the immigrant. It begins with the outsider. 
But at the end of the story, that same violence and that death, it touches everybody. It comes for everybody. And this is the way that violence and oppression work in the world. We think that, oh, we're, we're distanced from it, we're disconnected from it because we're so far away, but, but it comes for everybody. And so violence and death, later in the story, in Exodus, personified in uh, the violence and death are, are personified in this other character that is labeled the destroyer. And it's the destroyer that the character that God will have to, to restrain. It's the destroyer that God will have to protect his people from as that destroyer marches through the land of Egypt. I mean, it's a, it's a tragic, tragic story, and there are all kinds of other other hints and clues and details that, that invite us to consider reading it in this way, but, but it, it, it seems at least that God doesn't have to be the only suspect. That in a lot of ways, God is just revealing what is happening. That God is revealing through signs, through the signs of the 10 plagues, what is the reality of violence and death in our world? But it's obviously up for discussion. We can, we can talk about it. Um, how about after the service? But what we do know for sure is that this tragic story begins with abusing and mistreating the other, the outsider, those people. So, when the Passover meal is celebrated, one year later, the instructions are clear. Make room for the foreigner at your table. An alien residing among you who wishes to keep the Passover to the Lord shall do so, according to the regulations and the stipulations. Make room for the outsider in your midst. Make room for the person that you, you don't want to be there. Instead of unleashing violence at the beginning of, of this new story for the people of God who have recently been rescued from slavery and are now free, instead of beginning your story by unleashing violence, unleash hospitality, unleash compassion, unleash love, and see what unravels after that. Now, I, I'm not sure if, if the lamb at that meal is cooked à point or, or bien cuit. But either way, the table is open. The invitation is for everyone and, and for all people. And, and so now as, as we gather at the communion table with bread and juice that remind us, that, that, that help us to remember and to participate in Jesus' self-giving love, not just for us, but for all people, the same is true. The same is true. All are welcome. All are welcome, without exception. At this table, we are invited to unleash hospitality. We are invited to unleash compassion. We are invited to participate in the unleashing of love into the world. So, as, as we come to this table, I want to invite Reverend Suzanne Schwartz to join me as we prepare for communion.